one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. This is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on Apple Podcasts. This is Dumpty Dum, a podcast about the archers and the goings-on of Ambridge. I'm Stephen Bowden, focusing on my soft opening next Wednesday. And I'm Jacqueline Berto, who's all ready for dance fit classes at St. Stephen's. And then there's you, our lovely Dumpty Dummers, who are all getting overexcited about the up-and-coming fashion show. Welcome to Dumpty Dum, a show about our favourite country village. This week's episodes of The Archers are written by Tim Stimson, and I think he delivered some cracking episodes. Coming up, we have calls from... Shirley from The Fens, a first-time caller in a hooray, who's been thinking about the weather. Jen, Ambridge Pony Club, who has finally got something she has waited 13 years for. Glyn, who has his predictions for the year ahead. Claire from Clapham, who has been thinking about Helen. Oh, poor Claire. Vicky, who is disappointed in Denise. Brian, who isn't impressed by the Bridge Farm lot. Rob, who has been wondering about that Grange Farm land. And finally Christopher, who also has his doubts about Denise. We also have an email from Witherspoon, whose laryngitis meant that he couldn't actually call about all that counselling. Plus, we have The Week in Ambridge by Suey, a roundup of the Facebook group from Jacqueline, <laughs> and Tweets of the Week from Theo. But before Jacqueline and I start talking too much, let's remind ourselves of what happened over the last seven days with a roundup of The Week in Ambridge from Suey. Hello lovely people, it's Suey here, Queen Otter on the Twitters and on Blue Sky too. And it's time for a quick reminder of the week in Ambridge. Well, what a week. Far too much time was spent discussing the land in Heritage and how it was going to be used. Current state of play is that Henry isn't bothered that his brother is going to inherit land which cost half a million quid plus costs. He has at least been finally talking to a teacher at school and they can arrange him a counsellor. Helen has finally been to see a therapist. Natasha brought Sausage Boy some soup to the polytunnels without a sandwich. She has not understood the lunch regime at all. She also suddenly became Helen's best mate once the land was in the offing. Tom and Natasha had planned how they will get the best out of it by taking over and then they're going to open a post office account for Henry to put some money in for him to have late... Yeah, it's all complete tosh. Their desire to cash in on the land was noticed even by Tony which led to a super row on Friday night. Helen threatened to not just take her bat home, but to push off out of Ambridge. And no one said, let me help you pack. Brad's had enough of being treated badly at Lower Loxley and is decamping to Grey Gables on the same wages as a porter at times that fit in with his studies. I wonder why he's choosing to move. Lily is also going to Grey Gables, but as part of the placement for her court. She's not very good at industrial espionage or indeed staff relations as she asked Chelsea to report the plans of other staff, but refused to ask Lizzie to help get Chelsea a better job. She's got a lot to learn about how to win friends and influence people. There was trouble at Mill at Vittneries, where multitasking Denise had a strop when asked to do some upselling. She is not expressing the keeping your job at all costs. Paul was in his element making display stands 
after clearly reading shop displays for dummies. Denise is going to hold puppy parties. Are they like Tupperware or Ann Summers? Inquiring minds really want to know. Oh, and then there was a keep fit class. There was dancing. It was all quite embarrassing. All in all, definitely an odd week again. Until next week then, my lovelies, and I hope it's a good one. Thank you for that, Suey. Yet another excellent roundup of what's been going on. So, Jacqueline, how was your week? Getting back to normal week. Uh, busy, but I have to say, let's talk about the week in Ambridge because I don't agree with Suey, but I did at the beginning of the week, if you see what I mean. Because I listened, when, when I was away for three weeks, my listening regime was completely different. Not only are you sharing every living minute of your life with somebody else, you can't listen out loud and blah, blah, blah. And so I listened briefly every morning, as I always do, to the evening before. And I thought, wow, this is a bit of a funny week. And then yesterday, I listened to everything, including Friday evenings. And suddenly, I found it amazing listening to it all back to back. So I thought it was an excellent week in Ambridge. How about you, Stephen? How was your week? Or how was Ambridge for you? Oh, my week was, uh, like yours, fairly normal. I had a great weekend last weekend. I went up to London and saw the fantasy exhibition, British Library, and then had dinner with a bunch of old friends and stayed over and then had a nightmare journey back from London on the train, stealing with both engineering works and the flooding all at once, which meant the whole thing was hideous. But enough about that. I thought that it was a very good week. I thought that Tim Simpson has written some brilliant scenes. The way that people were interacting felt really natural, getting just the right balance between, on the one hand, making sure that you could hear what everybody's saying. But on the other hand, having people talking over each other. Yeah. I think the scene at the end, in Friday scene at Bridge Farm, where Natasha was trying to say something and Helen was trying to say, hang on, can't I ever say in this? And Tony was interviewing. That was just done so well, the combination of the writing and the, the acting. Yeah. And earlier on in the week, there were other c- cases, scenes where there were people arguing with each other and he just seemed to manage to, to somehow get that just right. Uh, and it, it felt very realistic to me. Yeah, me too. That birthday scene, Pat's 72nd birthday, I saw you'd posted on our Facebook page. I didn't know how old she was, so it's good for these to have these reminders. Less alone for me. I'm sure other people didn't know either. Pat's little voice in those scenes came across as a kind of little old lady voice, a kind of weak voice. And I've never thought of Pat as being a weak person. Yeah, it was good. And also, it just shows we've had so many years now, or such a long time, it feels like, where we've only had one, two, three, maybe four people in an episode. To get them all together in one room, all shouting at each other, really felt like the good old days. So I agree. Well done, Tim. Okay, that's probably enough about us. Let's have a bit of this. Hello, Tiger. <laughs> and our first call comes from a first-time caller in and this is Shirley. Hi, Dumpty Summers. This is Shirley from the Fens. I'm a first-time caller in but a pretty long-term listener. I began listening to the Archers, well, all my life really, but particularly as an adult in the mid-80s, and I remember rearranging my work break so I could get back in time to hear Shula and Mark's wedding ceremony. And I've been listening to your podcast for the last seven years and really enjoying feeling part of this global community of Archers listeners. And what's prompted me to finally call in, being very British, is thinking about the weather. And I've been particularly struck this week, and I don't know whether this is always the case, but both Sunday and Monday's episodes covered quite detailed accounts of the impact of the current weather situation. On Sunday, Tony had slipped over in the mud and Long Meadows all backed up due to the rain by the sound of it. And then on Monday, we heard Tom and Natasha and Tom had been working out in the cold drizzle and was anticipating more rain later. And it just got me to wondering, do the script writers 
look at the long-term weather forecast when they're putting the scripts together? Or are they making educated guesses on basis of what it, the weather might be like in Britain at this time of year, but that's by no means guaranteed? Or are they recording special rescripted scenes at the top of each episode just to make them sound really topical? I'd love to hear what you think and, and what the actual truth might be. Anyway, keep up the good work and uh, best wishes to all. Bye now. Oh, thank you for that, Shirley. Welcome. Thank you for braving it and making your being a first time caller in Iraq. Yeah, I always describe I've been listening to the archers since I was very tiny as well because I didn't really make a serious decision about ever about listening to it. So welcome to the caller in group. So weather. I think it's just a pure accident that it's happened like this. I think it is a good guess. I don't think they've ever really got it as right as they've got it this week. Tony's slipping over. Now, how old is Tony, Stephen? He's about the same age as Pat, actually. Yeah, that's what I thought. Slipping over in the mud, it's not a laughing matter when you get over 65 or 70. So I was quite concerned. Tony has been prone to have farm accidents, usually involving a bull, but... Yeah, I, I didn't like that. I didn't like it at all when he said, oh, I've slipped over in the mud. Because, in fact, if it was me slipped over in the mud, I'd have somebody have to have somebody to help me get me up. I'd have to have um, uh, a long, hot bath and um, massage oils uh, to relieve any aches and pains. And the next day, I certainly wouldn't be up to uh, shouting at people. I'd be just sitting in the corner <laughs> taking paracetamol. So it was quite an interesting uh, event that happened in the weather. But the weather has been dominant this week as it has been in real life. But I think there's a slight difference. At the beginning of the week, I was thinking exactly what Shirley was thinking, that the weather on the programme was very close to matching the weather here. But actually, it's been raining all week in Ambridge. Here, and I live not very far from the part of... England, where Borsetshire is located, and it, it stopped raining and has turned very cold and dry. But in Ambridge, it's continued to rain. Now, I don't think that they do topical inserts just on the weather. We haven't had many topical inserts since the program returned after the monologues. I, I think they're just too expensive for them to do, except on very obvious occasions like when the, the Queen died. Mm. So they do obviously take the seasons into account and I think quite often you will get David coming in from the cold from lambing and, and warming himself by the agar and similar things like that and I think that it's more reliably cold in the winter than it is hot in the summer yeah. so I think we get a bit more winter weather than summer weather but I'm wondering whether all this reference to rain and it was absolutely tipping it down outside the church after the yeah. dance fit classes for instance is that does that mean that we're going to have Another flooding flood? in Ambridge? Yeah. Now, that would be good at least that it's at a time when there's a lot of flooding in the UK because the Ambridge flood, the, the infamous mm. culvert-blocked Frieda-killing flood, was at a time when I think most of England was completely dry and, it, and there was absolutely no flooding going on whatsoever at that time. Mm, so I, I think this week they've partly lucked out think that it is luck rather than judgment, but luck obviously based on the seasons. But I do wonder whether there's there's something behind it all. Mm, uh, I think I think it's got most of us imagination uh, running riot. So good for them. But thank you very much for your call, Shirley. And I hope that you become a regular caller in Next we have somebody who is already a regular caller in and that is Ambridge Pony Club, Jen. Greetings everyone in Dumpy Dum Land. One of the great things about the archers is how long the story arcs are. And this week, a storyline I've been waiting to hear more on for 13 years came up. And that's looking at the donor conception of Henry in more depth. And in particular, looking at it, beginning to look at it from his point of view and how he feels. We've heard from Helen that to her, it's completely unimportant. It's irrelevant. She just wanted somebody to love her unconditionally didn't matter how it happened, wouldn't matter for the baby because they would have Tom, wouldn't make any difference and it's not important. And it's really not an issue that is as simple as that. It's an issue that affects our family. I was really pleased that they took it on because usually when the archers do this, they go into everything in the nth degree and you get very positive, well-researched. 
We should have heard some character reading out textbook at some point about how to raise donor-conceived children, what issues donor-conceived adults might have. Helen, we could have heard Helen reading any one of the, the many children's books there are for explaining the origins to the child. Probably she should have been to the Donor Conception Network who do meetups and gatherings for families, but we haven't had any of that. It's just been dismissed as it's fine, it's great. And interestingly, she was very quick to, to get a substitute father in there and have Henry calling Rob daddy, which I always thought was a mistake. And even if he hadn't been a complete psychopathic narcissist, there's more to it than that. So at last, we're beginning to hear some of the issues. I hope they do this really well. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it from Henry's perspective. Thank you for that call, Jen. Yes, often when people say, oh, we didn't hear this, this didn't happen, why hasn't that happened? I jump in and say, well, we only hear an hour and a quarter of what goes on in Ambridge, and there's 168 hours, and we only hear one place at a time, and Ambridge is full of places, so we can't possibly hear anything. And when Alice had Martha, a lot of people were saying, where's the health visitor, where's this, where's that? But over time, it turned out that all those things were in place and that there wasn't really anything wrong there. But I do agree with you that if Helen had been doing any of these things, I think we would have heard it about it. And so the, the fact that we've heard absolutely nothing about Helen getting any support for bringing up a donor-conceived child suggests that she hasn't, and she has just been doing it by herself. And as you say, the reason that she had Henry in the first place was so that there was somebody who would unconditionally love her rather than the other way around. And so that relationship has always been a bit strange. So it is good, I think. I, I absolutely agree with it. It's, it's good that it's starting to surface. And we've got two characters at the moment who are struggling a bit with, because not just Henry, but George was recently struggling with his family background and being teased about the fact that he is living with his uncle rather than his, well, he was living with his uncle, he's now living with his, his father, but that complicated business about his mother being married to his father's brother and all of that. So I think that's a strange, unusual background to both of those young men. And mm. I think that there's a certain amount of compare and contrast going on. But absolutely, I agree with you that it's great that we've got that focus on Henry's situation. Yeah, I think I think we said a few weeks ago that because the Henry story is something that's going to run and run, and as he goes into adolescence, even further into adolescence, because he's definitely starting to sound like a proper 13-year-old, snippy-snappy and with his mum, I think understandably, because she does parachute in and she does check up on him. He said he's got all his gear, but she still checked about how he packed his game stuff. He had a day of freedom with his friends just before the schools went back. She had to go home to be there. Well, I'm sorry, they're 13-year-olds. I uh, don't think they'd appreciate her mum hanging around. You don't have to be on the premises all the time. And it's not as if they live very far away from other people. There's always joy next door, etc. Yeah, I think the story with Henry is going to run. Now, I was very curious, and I know somebody else mentions the teacher, but I thought... When Mr. Ede and Henry were talking, and Mr. Ede was suggesting a therapist would help, Henry rather sounded at the end rather as though, no, I want it just to be between me and you. And I wonder if that's a story that he's going to be searching for someone, a male figure in his life. I know he's got granddad Tony. He certainly doesn't have Tom in his life. I don't remember much interaction between them. And although Helen said, oh, well, you'll be around, Tom. Well, of course, Tom's got his own life, his own wife, his own children. He's not going to be Henry's standby. And the loss of Lee in his life has obviously upset him greatly recently. Yeah, I think this is a good story. Good call, Jen. Thank you very much. Good to hear you sounding so much better. And yeah, I think we'll be watching this story for quite a while, Stephen. I think we will be. And now let's have a call which looks ahead to this coming year. It's from Glyn. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Glyn here. A happy new year to our podcast hosts and to all Dumpty Dummers. This is my first call of the year, and that can only mean one thing, predictions for the year ahead. Some of you may remember last year I predicted it would be the year of Pip. And indeed, Pip had a major storyline. 
I had thought we might find out more about her future plans for Brookfield, but of course it was more about her personal life. But it is a soap opera after all, so I guess that's par for the course. So for this year, well, two years ago, big story about Ben. Last year, big story about Pip. So it's got to be the turn of Joff. And I'm fully expecting something will occur this year. There's always a possibility of an archer child actually leaving Brookfield, leaving Ambridge, going off to travel the world. Kenton did it, so maybe that'll be for that'll be for Josh. But we'll have to wait and see. In regard to the stories from this week, the only comment I really have is around Natasha's plan to farm the land the Titchens have bought. Where will that leave Ed, or what will that do for relations between the Bridge Farm Archers and the Grundys? I can see Ed not being that happy and wondering why he hasn't been given the chance to use the land. That's all from me. Stay safe, everybody. Have a great week in Ambridge and speak to you again soon. Thank you for that call, Glyn, and thank you for your predictions for the year ahead. I think it's probably the case that of all the current batch of Brookfield offspring, Josh is the most Kenton-like. He is the Kenton of his generation. Definitely. And I also think that there probably isn't room for him in Ambridge. At the moment, he's got a few sort of casual hobby-type activities. He's got the chickens. He's got the tractor parts, even though I think he's pulled back from the degree of dealing that he was in after finding himself handling stolen materials, stolen farm equipment. So... I do think that that of all of them, he's the one that's probably got the the most incentive to get out and make something away from Ambridge. He might come back later on the way that both Adam and Kenton did from their respective families after a long time traveling. And I suspect he's more of a stay at home or stay in the UK. I think that the, the going off to Africa to find yourself or joining the Merchant Navy isn't quite as trendy as it was before. And... So I I think that he'll probably find something to do somewhere. He might find a farm up north with his aunt, for instance, Hmm. and we'll hear from him occasionally, and then he'll come back in due course when there's room for him in the (laughs) storylines. Yeah. Glyn Fullerlove, how dare you? It's a soap opera, for goodness sake. It's a docudrama. We all know that. But yeah, good predictions for Pip last year. I remember you calling in and I was talking about Pip. I think at the time we said, well, maybe, well, but we did worry. We are, I think it's still at the back of a lot of our minds about the inheritance of Brookfield, where it's going. And that definitely leaves Josh on the outside because Pip has got herself completely involved in farm work. Although Josh is expected to step in and help quite regularly, isn't he? Yeah, we'll see. So so it could be a good prediction, Josh, moving off, but just don't forget it's not a soap opera. Next, we have another regular caller. It's Claire from Clapham. Hello, Dumpty Dum. It's Claire from Clapham here. I'm calling from the splendid COVID isolation and I'm trying this again because it didn't work the first time. I was ringing to say something about Helen. I think recently, over the last few months, I've actually been quite proving of Helen's parenting choices. I think she's made some good parenting moves um and then at the beginning of the week she just seemed to lose the plot all over again i was like oh no we're going back and we've gone back in time and she's going to be all like overreacting to everything and it's all terrible so actually she did really well with the whole birthday party thing with henry and then she's doing the counseling it was really interesting to hear henry's conversation with his teacher i'm probably not sorry not to have heard Helen's conversation with her counsellor, but good to know that they're both like seeking some support. And I'm sure it'll be some sort of magical impact, like when Lizzie suddenly got well by having a counsellor. But anyway, glad to hear what's going on for Henry, because that's not always very obvious, is it, if he hasn't got someone to talk to you about it. And so I'm really pleased to hear that. But actually, on the whole, I think Helen has made some fairly good choices. Now, I'm calling in for the second time now, because it didn't work, and I've just listened to Friday. And she's gone a little bit kind of mad over reaction again. But oh my goodness, that whole conversation at Bridge Farm is like, they're all like, oh, 
Tasha's bullying Tom and Tom's being wet and Tony's being overreacting and oh, everyone's just awful, aren't they? That whole family are so mad in their own way. But anyway, let's hope that they can all calm down and have a good life. Keep up the good work. Speak. Thank you for that call, Claire. I'm going to pick up on that, that last point. The whole scene at Bridge Farm was so predictable as soon as Natasha came up with what was frankly an insane idea. It never made any sense to me that Tom and Natasha farming the land would be somehow getting something over on Rob. And it certainly made no sense to me that the rest of the Bridge Farm would see it in that way. They saw it in the way that I think any normal person would see it as effectively colluding with Rob's plan, because it would mean that it was Bridge Farm money going to Miles. And it's all very well saying, oh, we'll put half the profits away into a trust fund for Henry. But how much money do you actually make off 10 acres? Mm. We're hardly talking about raising half a million pounds over 13 years or however long it takes until the land goes to Jack. It just didn't make any sense at all in any way to me. And it was so obvious that there was going to be an incredibly hostile reaction from Tony, from Pat, and from Helen. Mm. And to raise it as a big, here's a wonderful idea we've got at Pat's party was so ill-judged. Natasha has got no clue, I think, about the damage that all of that did to the family, not just to Helen. And so while at the beginning of the week she was, yes, Natasha was sympathetic to Helen's situation, it all felt very much as if this was Natasha doing it for herself. And I think that the reaction from Pat and and from the family was correct. And and I just thought I could see that coming. There were people on social media who actually were saying, oh, isn't that a great plan? Isn't Natasha having a brilliant idea? It's a win for everybody. I agree with you. I think Natasha's a very interesting character because we always see her as this uh, clip-cloppy, I'm-going-to-get-things-sorted kind of woman. And then she's she has got some empathy. She's very empathetic with people when, when they're in a crisis. When Kirsty was looking for the, the slaves after the Philip crisis, she went off, didn't she, with Kirsty to help her look for them. She's been very open with Helen about having had therapy herself. She even offered, bizarrely, to take Helen, but I think it was all about supporting her. Almost to the point of suffocation, I felt at the beginning of the week. But then she has this other agenda, and I don't personally feel as though I can trust her. I don't know where she's coming from. She's absolutely perfect for Tom. Because we've seen that in Tom before, this blinkered, self-centered view. So I think they're a very well-matched couple. Although I had a sense that Tom was feeling it was all a bit over the top. He seems overwhelmed at the moment, Tom. He's working miserably by himself and just getting soup in the polytunnel. He comes home and the house is an absolute wreck and she's on her way out to the dance fit class. It seems like it's all a bit, life is too much for Tom at the moment, and he has the worry of Helen on his shoulders all the time. But So it's quite interesting. But to go back to what Claire said about Helen, yeah, as I said earlier on, she's definitely reverted to type for me this week and has shown some of her regular traits of control and over-control that had slipped in the last month or two since Rob's death. I felt like she had become a much more rounded character. I think somebody said, I think it might have been Andrea last week on the show, said that, yeah, actually, she's sorry, but she's starting to like Helen. Interesting, Andrea. I'd like to know if you still feel like that at the end of this week. We never did touch Glynn's question of where will that leave Ed about the using of the land under Natasha's plan? Yeah, what's going to happen to Ed, Stephen? Let's have on the line, on the spare of the moment prediction. I just don't understand why 10 acres out of the 50 acres at Grange Farm is so important. Yes, I know that there's been a mention that a lot of the other land floods and mm. therefore presumably gets poached up. And I suspect that may be one of the things that all this rain is doing, that it's going to force yeah. Ed into a crisis quicker, more, more quickly than before. But it was, I think once the land was sold, it was always the case that Ed was going to have to find somewhere else. And he's been looking around, but he can't use home farmland because they've already got the Brookfield sheep on there. Yeah. 
So we don't know quite where that's going. But I think that Ed will probably move out of Texels and into tree surgery. Yes, I think you're probably right. The tree surgeons are going crazy here this week. You could get a job here. Yes, at this time of year, there's a, a lot of trees down, and I think this year more than many. Yeah. But let's move on to our next call, and this one is from Vicky Cole. Hi, everybody. It's Vicky Cole here. Hope everybody's well and not too wet. I feel as though it's been a real week of ups and downs, thinking about Helen and how anxious and upset she was at the beginning of the week when she heard about the land sale and how she's been through the therapy process and has now seemed to be a little bit calmer. And Henry has also done the same thing, sort of independently, been through the same sort of cycle. Denise and Alistair, I was very disappointed with how unprofessionally they behaved. I sort of get where Denise is coming from about the selling thing. But still, if it's what you've got to do, it's what you've got to do. And however badly you feel about it, you don't talk about it like that in front of your clients. Um, and they were very frosty, weren't they? And then later on, they were really friendly and a bit flirty at the dance class. I can't quite make Alistair out because then John appeared. And Alistair got all sort of shy, not shy exactly, but he went off quickly in a hurry and said he wouldn't be coming back. Do we think he's trying to do the gentlemanly thing and leave Denise alone if there's any hope that she and John are okay after all? And then Natasha, I feel that her idea about the land probably came from a good place, but what a stupid idea to introduce it at a birthday party. That seemed a bit short-sighted, really. I'm worried about Tom. He seems to be, well, not very worried because it's Tom, let's face it, but he seems to be tired a lot at the moment and finding everything difficult, stressful, and he fell asleep, didn't he? And the other thing I'm a bit anxious about is all this rain. That's not like a topical thing because of our weather. So I'm hoping that's not going to be some disaster coming up. Oh, running out of time. Love to you all. Bye. No, thanks for that call, Vicky. I think Vicky and I definitely have the same mindset because I'd actually forgotten when I listened to the calls before we started recording, that Vicky had said that about Tom. Uh, yeah, it is Tom, so we don't get too worried. But yeah, he is. I said earlier, I agree with you. He's very tired and stressy at the moment. And of course, there's lots of rain. And they all announced the land deal thing, the land idea, the birthday party, which was a ridiculous idea. But one thing we haven't talked about yet is Denise and Alistair. And Vicky thought it was extremely unprofessional of them to be bickering and cold and frosty in front of the clients. I know Glynn felt last week that there was too much going on at the vets on Mike, but I find it quite curious that we're seeing so much of this. And I think, yeah, I think uh, Vicky's got an idea there that Alistair is actually saying, oh, 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 no, John's still around. She's still a married woman. I can't follow this to where I want to follow it. So it's that uh, slow simmering burn of a long Archer's storyline. Just one thing though, Alistair is not Denise's boss. They both work for Lovell James and he's having things handed down to him from on high. He's just happened to be the head vet there, doesn't he? I don't think we can, I don't understand where Denise is coming from. I think in some ways Alistair is her boss in that he's the senior vet within the practice and he I guess, has a sort of practice management role mm. within that particular surgery. But yes, it was interesting seeing what we're seeing is classic sort of rom-com romantic fiction practice where you put the two people together quite early on and then you throw obstacles at them to help develop the relationship between them, things that cause conflict. And most of a, a romantic novel, most of a rom-com, is actually about conflict between the two leads. And so the upselling requirement is a classic case where they're in opposition to each other. They're forced to be in, in opposite corners. Mm -hmm. And yes, it was very unprofessional of them to be arguing in front of the clients. Though, of course, the client in question is, was Lillian, who knows yeah. all about it. And then she comes up with a magical resolution pulls a rabbit out of a hat, which is probably not something you're supposed to do at a veterinary surgeon, but comes <laughs> up with the not. idea of puppy parties, which somehow manages to convince Denise that actually the upselling, which is what puppy parties are all about. It's like Tupperware parties or what was the other one that Anne Sue mentioned? Summers. Anne Summers parties, yes. <laughs> I don't know which of the two is it is more like, but <laughs> gracious. It, but they are about selling, even though they are about selling in the case of a puppy party, 
in the context of lots of advice and so forth. And I imagine a Tupperware party is also will have advice about recipes and cooking. Oh, yeah, and so it's forth. all about recipes. You, you've got to generate the stuff, the food that you then put in the Tupperware <laughs> to keep it when you, you don't actually eat enough of the food. <laughs> Well, I definitely haven't been to a Tupperware or an Anselmus party for many, many, many years now. But I went to a jewellery party in the autumn and that was all about events and Christmas and presents and everything. So it was very much upselling. So there you go. I'd never heard of parties until this week. No, it's but it, it makes sense. But then yeah. I, I, I'm not a dog person. I don't, I've never had a dog and... I don't think kitten parties are quite the same thing. They sound probably a bit too much like the Ann Summers ones. Rather, yeah. Let's not go there. <laughs> okay. So those are the first few calls, and there are several more to come, which we will hear very soon. And if you would like to join in, and we really would like you to join in, by calling yourself, or you could drop us a line, a message, or an email. So Jacqueline is here to tell you how to do all that, and all these details are also in the show notes. Well, your first option is to record a message or a plot prediction by going to www.speakpipe.com forward slash dumtdum. And don't forget that T in the middle. The next option is to send us a voice note or message via WhatsApp on 07810 or plus four four and remove the first zero if you're calling from outside the UK. Please keep your call to a maximum of two minutes. Finally, we have an email address you can contact us on if you would rather write to us with your views. Maximum of 250 words, please. The email address is dumtdum at mail.com. Do bear in mind you need to be at least 18 to take part and contribute. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Now let's get back to our calls. Next up, we have Brian. Hello, it's Brian. Just got back from pre-60th birthday drinks, so forgive me if she's a bit more rambly than usual. Can't believe I'm going to be old. Officially old. Never mind. Okay. Bridge Farm. Tom and Natasha, Tinia, talk about the harebrained rubbish scheme. Whatever possessed them to think that getting involved with the land that Miles is going to run would ever be a good idea. Hopeless. And for once, I can sympathise with Helen, especially to come up with it on Pat's birthday party. Hopeless. Oh, dear, dear, dear. Anyway. Oh, no, Helen, don't go. Please stay. I can't face the thought of the arches without you. Did that sound so clear? Yeah, yeah, I was trying. Anyway, but never mind. I think that's about what I can say before I go off into a drunken stupor. Okay, nice to talk to you. Speak to you again. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you for that call, Brian, and congratulations on reaching 60, which I believe is currently somewhere around the new 35. So I don't think you're old at all. I speak as somebody who was 60 just over about a year and a half ago, and uh, I seem to have survived 
this far. We've talked a bit about some of the things you called about, but one thing I did want to pick up on is this question about whether Helen will be leaving. And she's not the only person whose departure from Ambridge was talked about this week. So Helen, where will she go? What will she do? If, she, if her future lies in cheese, she'll need to find a cheesemaker. She's not going to, be, I think, be able to set up from scratch somewhere new, but she might be able to find a dairy farm that is looking to branch out into cheese and to take that on for them. But it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think artisan cheese is still on a boom. I think that it's still a, a rising thing. So I think there, there is plenty of opportunity because the way of getting money from dairy cows, the milk price is still so incredibly low that just selling milk to supermarkets is going to be a, a massive loss to dairy farmers. So they're always looking to get value from their milk by turning it into more profitable things. And cheese is one of the most obvious ones to do. So it'll be interesting to see whether she can repeat the success of Borsetshire Blue and Sterling Gold somewhere else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the other person who's leaving the village, we hear, and this is quite a surprise to me, is Ardil. Yeah, Oliver was I... announcing that Ardil was moving on. Now, I can imagine that maybe the owners were pretty fed up with him. And now that he's dug himself and dug Great Gables out of the hole that he dug it into, they'd be quite happy to pass over him and let him go and, and carry on. But with Roy, the future of Roy is very much up in the air. It's interesting that Ardil is going, and particularly just as his sister has arrived in the area. Yeah, that's what I thought. It was really quite shocking. That was a moment when you had to take a step back. And did he really say that? Because we've had no indication that Ardil is going to be moving on. I know we don't hear all the conversations, etc. but we had such an intense storyline with Grey Gables and Adil pulling the party in the polytunnel out of a hat. So I was very surprised by that. And as you say, with his sister there, but nobody called in and has mentioned the whole Lily thing. Sue mentioned in her roundup that she thought that Lily was being very mm, duplicitous with Chelsea, expecting her to spy, but not giving her any indication that she would help Chelsea stay at Lower Loxley and get a better position. I thought that was really mean of Lily. And yet Lily was expecting to have free information. Yes, the whole business of staff being poached by Greg Abels from Lower Loxley is an interesting one, but it does seem as if the decision to replace Trent with Connor has, has been disastrous. Well. Where do they and get these names from? I wonder. I have a theory about where the name the disastrous Connor who comes along and ruins everything might be from. I wonder whether it's a, a reference to Sean O'Connor, the former That's editor. Could well be, because he definitely came in and put his foot in very firmly, didn't he? Oh, oh yes. Very good theory, Stephen. So, yeah, the now what I would do is, did you know what balayage was? No, I, I did have to look up what balayage was. Um, <laughs> as you know, balayage is not something that I'm really going to be interested in from my own personal point of no, view. Exactly. And as soon as they said balayage, and I saw somebody on social media and said, what the heck is balayage? And I thought, I think I know because I have a 21-year-old daughter. And so occasionally these discussions have come in and I have natural balayage, apparently. But there was a great discussion between balayage, balayage and halage and something Haylage. on the face. Haylage, yeah. yeah. Haylage, which is a cross between hay and silage, basically. That's where yeah. the name comes from. Exactly. And, uh, but there was a great discussion on our Facebook page about that. Oh, it wasn't on Facebook, or our Facebook page. I think it was on Academic Archers. <laughs> well, there we go. You see, just because so we can cross-reference everything. Yeah, I think it's, that's going to be a funny story between Louis Loxley and Grey Gables. And that's another one that will slowly burn out. But I'm very disappointed to hear that Adil is going. Another call from another familiar voice, and this one is from our Rob. Hi there, Dumpty Dumbers around the world. It's Rob here, for the remaining Rob here. I just had a thought. The land that was bought by Miles on behalf of Rob, it seemed to me that it was absolutely imperative that he bought this land, and so the sky was the limit, is the implication. Because... It's what Rob decided he wanted to do to mess up Helen's life in the future, of whatever reason. But the thing is, land doesn't come up that often in Ambridge. So 
it must have been a, you must buy this under any circumstances without fail. But I was wondering, how much money did he have at his disposal? Supposing the week before, the Grundies had had a couple of million pound win on the lottery or something, or a hundred million on the Euro millions, something like that. And they were desperate and homesick and determined to buy it so they would keep pushing that money up. How was Rob's final wishes to be enacted if there was somebody came along who had even more money and was even more determined to buy that land? What would have happened if that had been the case? That's what I've been thinking about this week. But then, hey-ho. Take care, everybody. See you now. Bye. Thanks for that, Rob. I think you should get out more. I don't think we'll ever know the machinations of how that came about. I think it's one of those things. It was a means to an end. But why? Why they decided to take this on? I think we said last week, didn't we, that in fact neither of us were very impressed by the fact that it was a Titchener that bought the land. Not impressed at all, even if it is for Jack. And there are obviously implications with Helen and how she manages that with Jack and Henry and implications on both Henry and Jack's lives. We've seen a bit of fallout with Natasha and uh, Tom this week because of the land, but I don't think we'll ever know how it came about from uh, Rob's will. It was just one of those things. What do you think, Stephen? I think the timing just made no sense. I think we've said this before because the would not have gone through probate, so the money wouldn't no. be available, and we don't know where Miles might have got that money unless it was from Bruce, which seems so unlikely. I imagine that the instruction in the will was a certain amount of money be put aside to be held in trust with Miles as a trustee with the purpose of buying land in Ambridge, which would then be transferred to Jack when he turns 21. It all seems a lot simpler than the Lower Loxley trust arrangement, mm. but that's because we're just talking about effectively a capital sum invested in land. And so mm. I don't think there was an urgent imperative to buy that particular piece of land. In fact, I suspect that piece of land was not on the market at the time that Rob died. So I think Rob's instructions will have been to buy land when the opportunity arises. There's probably a fixed amount of money. In this case, he seems to have spent half a million pounds. So maybe it's was that was the sort of the amount that was left. And any money that wasn't spent actually on purchasing the land would be available, I guess, for investing in that land to improve its value in whatever way is going to be permissible under planning arrangements like that. So I don't think there was an urgency. I think that the speed at which it actually happened was unrealistic. But in some ways, I think it would be even worse if we'd waited months and months and then had yet another round of Titchener involvement mm. in the village. So yeah. at least we get to know the fact that this is going to be Titchener land and we're going to have this long-running, probably long-running source of irritation and, and pressure on Helen. At least we, we were upfront about that's going to be happening rather than it coming back again after a pause where we finally yeah. think we're through with the whole tedious titular storyline. It's back. <laughs> yes, that's true. And now it's time for our final call, which is from a fairly regular caller in Europe, but we haven't heard from him for quite some time. Uh, hello, everybody. It's, uh, it's Christopher here. I haven't phoned in for a while, mainly due to the fact that I haven't really been able to breathe because I've had actual proper flu but I has been a bit frustrating um, I really like Denise but I'm starting to see why her uh, her husband goes on uh, quite a lot of long bike rides but however Denise and Alistair did give give us the really wonderful slash awful season this week with Alistair sort of dropping a bag of dog food or something from a high shelf and it's sort of the only thing, that you, the sort of thing that you only really get in the archers or certainly radio with this kind of whoa, sort of wobbly top, you know, like it was awful, but hilarious at the same time in a kind of accidental Mr. Bean type way. It was, it was priceless. I hope you all had a lovely new year and all the rest of it. Cheerio. Thank you for that call. Christopher, and I hope that you're fully recovered from your flu. It can be a pretty debilitating disease when you get it full on. And so it's good that you're 
able to talk again and call in to us on the podcast. Denise and Alastair, they went through a bit of a phase. We talked about the somewhat unprofessional conduct in front of Lillian, but the whole business of stuff almost falling off shelves was, I think, a way of demonstrating that Denise, underneath hostility and frustration about selling, really does care for Alastair. And then we have the dance fit session, which we haven't really talked about. No. But there, I was yelling at the radio, get a room, because the, yeah. when the two of them were talking, <laughs> they were just so much so. And I'm sure that other people will have noticed all of that. Yeah. Even though I think Natasha in particular is particularly blind to anything going on outside her own little world. And then you have the sudden switch of attitude from Alastair as soon as John turned up. And some people have suggested that he's trying to do the honest, honourable thing. I just think that it's a feeling that it's not quite jealousy, but it's a sort of frustration that when John's around, he's conscious of the problems that, that face him and Denise. So it, it's not about doing the honourable thing. It's just no. about realising that there are obstacles there and that it's going to be very difficult to move forward and that it's not something that he can control. And he's stepping away because he can't do anything else. He can't do anything about the relationship between Denise and John. Denise has told him things aren't going well, but that's the one area that he can't directly intervene in. He can provide as much support as he likes to Denise, but he doesn't want to do that when John is around, and not just because he's going to talk about football and cycling, which I think Alastair is capable of holding up his end of a conversation, but it probably isn't what he really wants to talk about. No, not at all. Well, we haven't talked about that much, but we didn't haven't talked about Paul in that relationship because there he is working with both of them. And obviously he's an only child of Denise and John. So obviously he's trying to encourage his parents to do things together because he's perhaps seen a crack somewhere along the line. But one of the things that happened this week in one of the staff meetings or discussions at the vets was, don't call me mum at work was very definitely her putting Paul in his place at work as this, probably the senior nurse, more, certainly the one with the most experience. But it's a very difficult situation now because unfortunately I went to school where my aunt was my form teacher in junior school. Oh, and the number of times I said, Auntie Mavis. And it is a very difficult situation, even as a child and a teacher. So let alone when you're a professions in, in a professional setup, can't imagine what it'd be like. Yeah, Paul, but Paul is definitely encouraging his parents to do things together. John was there at Paul's Christmas lunch organization. Interesting all round. I think the relationship is, as we said earlier, a slow burn. And, yeah. and also the comedy that Christopher found amusing. Yeah, it was a very... The archers don't necessarily do comedy well, but that was a funny little moment. And it did, as you say, prove that actually she does, despite her cold, coldness to him, she did actually care whether he was crowned by a box of dog treats or whatever. It does strike me that Paul, who is always put across as such a people person, appears to be completely blind to the <laughs> yeah. relationship between Alistair and Denise. Indeed. And kept saying things, and, and, and you could just tell that bad stuff was going to happen in, in the way of getting in the way of that relationship. So I guess he is, at the moment, another of those obstacles thrown in the course of true love. Yes, and I think he always will be slightly anyway, because they work together, all the three of them. I know Paul's supposed to go off with Jacob a bit more, and Denise works in the surgery, but I think they're all, or even four of them, if you include Jacob in it. But I think there's going to be a friction going forward in that workplace. Yes, I think until they realise, until it becomes obvious that the relationship between John and Denise is thoroughly on the rocks and beyond the point of being fixed. And at that point, I think Paul will start to become more of a constructive part of the package. Mm. Those are our calls. Thank you so much for calling in. We love hearing from you. So do call again next week, whether you called this week or not. Now, did we receive any emails or WhatsApp messages this week? Yes, we did. And we had one which goes like this. Can't do the accent. But I've got Witherspoon's voice in my head. Greetings, Jacqueline, Stephen, and all Dumpty Dummers around the world. It's Witherspoon and Angus Haggis here. I'm actually emailer in the ring for the first time ever because of my continuing dodgy voice. 
I didn't want to miss a chance to weigh in on this therapy-heavy week in Ambridge. Damti Damas cheered and said a collective thank you to the scriptwriters for finally listening to us and getting Helen a therapist and Henry a kind of therapist. Helen appears to be growing and gaining insight now that she isn't in such a defensive mode. We did see a bit of parent-adolescent clashing, but isn't that normal? Helen does do the helicopter parent thing a lot, and she is compensating for choosing the route of being a single parent. I hope that some love does go out to women and men who make that decision. I have a question. Helen made reference to being in therapy when she was in the throes of her eating disorder. Have a memory of her talking to a therapist when she was remanded in prison awaiting trial. Am I wrong about that? A lot of hugs to Henry this week as he negotiates the emotional minefield of his life. He did hear Helen's encouragement to talk with a therapist and he reached out to a trusted teacher, which is quite fine for a 13-year-old boy to do. Now, I heard Henry call his teacher Mr. Ed, which I know must not be correct. And I immediately had the image of the 60s American sitcom Mr. Ed about talking horse. Anyway, Mr. Ed, or whatever his name was, might get some supervision from a therapist on the case. Finally, Natasha. Some Dumpty Dummers were suspicious of her motives in being so supportive of Helen, but we've seen this before. Natasha's strengths are her empathy and people skills. Though I thought she went a bit overboard when she anticipated Helen's first session to be trauma, a trauma-inducing event. Anyway, until I hear otherwise, I will celebrate Natasha this week. My two minutes are up. I do hope to speak to you next week. Wow. He's covered a lot of points there, hasn't he? Yes, some of which we, we've already looked at. I think on Natasha, this was sent in before Friday. Yeah. I wonder whether Witherspoon will have slightly revised his uh, celebration of Natasha after yes. that car crash on Friday. I agree. I'd be very interested to know what you think Witherspoon from, as Stevens described it, aptly a car crash. Now, I don't remember Helen having actual therapy when she was in prison. I think she spoke to a counsellor or something like that. Yeah. But I don't think it was proper therapy. I wouldn't expect that to be something that you'd be able to access when you're on being held on remand. Yeah. yeah I don't remember her. I do remember some counselling talk, but I thought it was mainly to do with the fact that she had the baby in prison about that's me misremembering. Yeah, you were going to say the teacher's name was Mr. Eid. It's Mr. Reed. Reed. I I wrote down Eid because well, I, I, I guess when you say Mr. Reed, the yeah. the R at the end of Mr. and the beginning of Reed overlap with each other, but the credits on Fridays. Ah, well done, you. Say Mr. Reed. <laughs> Jolly good. Before we move on to talk about our Facebook page, let's talk briefly about academic archers and the conference planned for the weekend of the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of April. And this is taking place at the Quakers Meeting House in Euston Road in London. The box office is now open and links to that conference can be found in the show notes. And I think over the next few weeks, we will do a bit of previewing of some of the papers that are going to be at that conference. It's not this year something with a formal Dumpty Dum mashup, but we are expecting quite a lot of Dumpty Dummers to attend. And I hope there'll be a chance for us to get together and meet face to face even without a formal. Yes, indeed. And those of us who did make it to Birmingham last April will remember it with great fondness. We'd never met before, and now look at us. We see each other every week. <laughs> As last year we had this Embroidering Ambridge event, we decided to carry on doing some kind of crafty theme. And the theme this year is Ferrety Fun, which made me shudder at first, but the girls have persuaded me it's a good thing. And in honour of the only year the Gwendys have got involved in organising anything in the village show, there's going to be a crafted ferret show at the Academic Archers Conference. Entries are invited from all crafters, whatever medium, knitting, crochet, felting, sewing, sculpture, drawing or painting, wood carving, junk modelling, baking, sugar craft, or even fashion from vegetables. Just bring your handmade ferret or ferrets, as many as you want, to the conference to enter. Acknowledging that some people have an absolute aversion to ferrets, rat-type animals, crafted representations of other Ambridge pets can be entered too and will have their own prize. 
That was my bit. <laughs> Ferrets will be judged by our special guests. And there will also be a public vote of, by conference attendees. Rosettes will be awarded in the following categories. I'll put this onto Facebook and we'll try and bump it up. So if you're planning on going to the Academic Archers conference and or Dumpty Dum meet up around the conference, these are the things you should be thinking about making. Most realistic ferret. Best edible ferret. Best ferret that only a mother could love. That's because we know things go wrong. Best dressed ferret. Best archer's character ferret. The Fallon Burns Prize for the best ferret made from upcycled objects. The Peggy Woolley Prize for the best yarn-based ferret. Best alternative Ambridge pet. Best in show. And finally, a people's choice. Thank you for that, Jacqueline. Let's move on to Facebook, where we have two and a half thousand very active, friendly and erudite members. And we need to give a very warm welcome to the newest group of them, who are Tammy Hopper, Carolyn Merrifield, David Scott and Judith Farrow. Before we hear about uh, what our Facebook group has been talking about this week, I'm pleased to announce that we have a new social media rounder upper, the lovely Vicky Cole, whose voice you heard just a bit earlier will be doing her debut roundup in a couple of weeks' time, and I am sure she will do a brilliant job. But this week's roundup comes from me. Due to Ben having a key crisis, well, let's say a key office computer crisis in Shanghai. So it's been a busy week as usual, and it started with an expletive from Victoria Bourne. Oh, FFS, the perfect way to post without spoiling, in my view. Now, Sarah Ferguson was enjoying the Chelsea and Brad quality sibling bickering. Very nice. I wasn't sure about that, really, because it made me feel very uncomfortable. Helen and Henry therapy got us talking a lot. Chris Gibson screamed, at last, Helen goes to therapy. Ruth Pell was thankful that the scriptwriters have listened to us. Laura Jackson said, about freaking time. Steve Beach noted that the therapist will need therapy after seeing Helen. Now, Simon Valante is sorry that we haven't heard Tom and Natasha being presented with their bill. There are lots of comments on this post. We already know our Witherspoon is not 100% in agreement with this view, but it did lead to a very interesting discussion which involved, in inverted commas interesting, tax accounting and boiled down to the ownership of the bull. Catherine Humphreys had a question about joy. Why does she tick all the boxes of how a person should be, but she really gets on my nerves? David Keel thinks she's too good to be true, and Anne Stevenson loves her, as does Charlie Emma. So that's it, a very quick review of the Facebook page. Personally, I love popping in and occasionally sticking my oar in too, as does Stephen. And I see lots of names of people regularly occurring, so you lot must be enjoying it as well. It'd be great if you could break the mould and phone in or email or message in your views. Not all of our listeners are on Facebook and you are missing out showing your wit and insights to an even greater audience. Thank you for that, Jacqueline. And I, and I fully minute. agree. The more people from the Facebook group who actually get to call in and, and contribute to the podcast, the better. That's really what we want from you. Absolutely. Now to Twitter, where you will find us at Dumpty Dum. Make sure you include the Archers hashtag using a capital T and A so the visually impaired who use screen readers can enjoy any Archers-based tweets. As well as at Dumpty Dum, I can be found at Wenlock House. And I can be found at Jberto Sanguen. But we're both spending more time discussing the Archers on Blue Sky where I am at jberto.bsky.social And I'm at wenlock.bsky.social So let's find out who has won the Twitter medals this week. Tweet, tweet, pushcat. Or should that be XX these days? Hello, Jacqueline, Stephen and Dumpty Dummers everywhere. It's Purple Pumpkin here with Tweets and Skeets of the Week. And my thanks as ever to Bernadette, Jen, Kate and everyone else who tags at Dumpty Dum to make sure we see all the best ones. This week on Twitter, alongside a certain amount of unrepeatable smart about Denise and Alistair and Lycra and the role Paul is playing in their relationship, there are a lot of comments from lawyers, including Tara Persaud, about how unlikely it is that Rob's will has been granted probate already and that it could actually dictate the terms that Oliver described to Helen. I'm nominating a special award for at mduck21 on Twitter and at rainbowwarrior.com 
www.bsky.social, who spotted that Mr. Reed, Henry's teacher, is played by Dan Hegley, who played Daryl the Feckless Carpenter a number of years ago. Meanwhile, on Blue Sky, in answer to a question from Olwyn at ambridgeolwyn.bsky.social, while at Loma Lindy 12 favours Nash Tom as the contraction for our favourite organic power couple, Serena Blancheflower at allserene.bsky.social is citing Tom Asher, which I think rolls off the tongue a little more easily. But now it's time for the medals for Blue Sky Skeets and X Posts, all of which we continue to refer to as Tweets of the Week. In bronze position, it's David Thomas at Glendore, who has Lizzie saying, I already pay my staff 12p an hour, and they can have as much leftover gruel from the orangery as they can eat. Why is everyone jumping ship to Grey Gables? The silver medalist is Julian Smith at thestarchers.bsky.social. This demands singing, but I'm not going to. Alistair actually saying to Denise's husband, John, I'm only dancing. She turns me on, but I'm only dancing. She turns me on, don't get me wrong. I'm only dancing. That's a Bowie mashup for anyone who missed it with my non-musical delivery. And the gold medal goes to Charlie Notton at 19CEN. They'll find Alistair's pants in the vestry and Denise's vest in his pantry. Nice one, Charlie. That's it for this week. I hope to see you all on Hashtag the Archers on Twitter or Blue Sky next week. Thank you for that, Theo, and congratulations to all who are mentioned in this week's roundup. And don't forget, we are on Instagram at Dumpty Dum, where Theo also looks after things. Next week, we'll be recording at the normal time of first thing Saturday morning, so please get your calls in by midnight on Friday UK time. And as we come to the end of this episode, we need to say thanks to all our wonderful contributors and to the whole team who look after our social media and support us in so many ways. And also to the whole Dumpty Dum community, you make doing this podcast worthwhile. And we must say thank you to Kim Durham and Sonny Ormond for their voices and our podcasting parents, Lucy V. Freeman and Royfield Brown. Thank you so much for listening and joining us. We are now off to throw a podcast party for new Dumpty Dummers so we can sell them more stuff. No puppies involved in this one. So it's au revoir from me. And it's goodbye from me. Dumpty 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 Dum Dumpty 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 Dumpty